are you? How was your weekend or your week? I'm good. Since the last the week time we was good. Um, we had a couple of big things happen since we met last. One yes. is we both had birthdays. Yes, we did. I also We're, had birthdays. We both had birthdays. We both had birthdays. Just we both had birthdays. Um, okay, so I'll I'll start. I got you something for your you for your birthday. Now, just let me this. let me tell you. I think one thing I love doing is telling stories. One thing I could have done for you mm-hmm. is just got on Amazon, bought you really fun things that I know yeah. you would enjoy. Yeah. But instead, what I did, I got this old vintage camera. And inside of this vintage camera, I went all through Portland one day no. to spots that you and I have experienced together and took pictures, Gosh. documented the day that you turned 30, documented because I knew you weren't in the city you that you stop. love. And so in this camera is 36 pictures of your experience Josh. over the last year. Joshua Elizabeth White. As Savannah turning 30. My so. so so how do I get the photos? I'm old. Do I go get them like developed? Yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah, you're welcome. I, yeah, I am shocked. I didn't get you anything. <laughs> we said no gifts, and now I know that you are one of those people that when we say no gifts, it's a, a chance for you to give a gift. Like you got me nothing. I, that's not true. Actually, I did get you something and it's actually really cool. It's just not here right now and it will definitely. Are you lying? Cause that's. Nope. This is so good. What day did I turn? How, how old am I? You're 36, right? No. 35? Yes. Oh shoot. Oh, I, you just said 36 photos. That's why I got. And confused. what day was my birthday? You are the, hold on. 20, no. 21st? No. 26th. No. Okay. Those are my only two guesses. I thought it was right before, right after mine. <laughs> then again, I did talk about my birthday incessantly. So I made sure everybody knew it was my birthday. I just want our fans are to know. Are you sure it's not the 21st? I'm pretty sure the day that I was born. Mm. We could look into it. Um, 24th? No. You're literally hitting every date around the actual date. But it's not 23rd. So it sure isn't. 20, 22nd. No. 21st? I already said 21st. No, okay, so it's, not, it's literally not the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, or 25th, 26th. Is it the 25th? No. Josh, were you born in June? Do you know your birthday? I sure do. I don't think 19? someone else knows my I birthday. Don't, I don't know your birthday. and I'm. But I no. know it's around there. I know it's close. Because um, we're both born in June towards the end. I have a confession. What? Totally made that up. Because I knew you would not get me anything. I didn't get Wait, you anything. Wait, are there no photos in here? There's not there's not even film inside of that camera. Okay, so my dumb my dumb ass was like the front of this camera is gone. It's just the lens that's missing from it. That was all a put on because I knew you want I tried to get you a diet coke pillow and I got it, but it it was like really it was really shitty well, so where I is didn't, it? on its way back to amazon.com it was really bad that is so mean the stitching there are no was photos in here? there really isn't it was just a complete riff no to see. i was literally so excited i did oh something god, similar gutted. though hold please oh god wait but when is your birthday it's june 20th you said every i said 20 roll the clip roll the clip roll the yeah okay i was like and you probably just didn't hear it 
We're going to roll back. Okay, so I turned 35. Yes. June 20th. Yes. I turned 35. I did know you were turning 35. You had just said... You said 36. It's because you said there are 36 photos in here, so I accidentally said it, but I knew you were 35 because we talked about how you're right at the halfway point. And now you can say you're either in your 30s or you can say you're almost 40, and like both are appropriate. So I turned 35 on June... 20th. Nice. Which I did And I did something super meta. Okay. I so I bought this old film camera and spray painted it. And then Did you actually do this or is this a ruse again? No, this is actually okay. happened. But for my 35th birthday, I took 35 photos on 35 millimeter film. I haven't gotten gotten them developed yet, Whoa. but I'll put out a reel with it, but yeah, it was a fun little project for for that week. How fun. You did yeah. that. Did you do it on your birthday? I did like some I, I did some on my birthday and then I forgot the rest of the day. That's and okay. so I went the rest of that month, which was like nine more days yeah. and took a few more, a few so more pictures. Fun. So what else, what else did you do on your birthday? I really didn't do a lot. It, a fun um, dinner? not really. We had a couple people over. Okay. I got pizza. I got baby doll, baby doll. Okay. Good. Which good, was good. great. Yeah. We are going to do, we got to do a pizza party. At some point. What's the one on Belmont? Scotty's, Scotty's I wanna, I wanna on, Scotty's division. on division. We tried to do it, but they were closed on Tuesday. It's the one day oh, they're closed shoot. in okay. true Portland we'll fashion. Though. But uh, wow. that was fun. So my fun. 35 was very adult. <laughs> very chill. However, your 30th was not was a rager. Yeah, it was a lot in the best way possible. Yeah. Do you want to just do you want a pass card for that or do you just want to go all in? Of course, I want to talk about it. I want I don't want to do anything else but talk about my 30th birthday party. That is all. In fact, we could just do another podcast for it. But I had the best birthday Granted, I have been planning it for like five years. If you know me, you know that I have been wanting to be 30 forever. It has just been the age that feels the most right. I think even my little sister was like, wow, you're finally the age that you have been for like (laughs) six years. And it was so fun. Went out to Nashville with all of my family. Some friends, uh, some really good friends flew in from uh, California that me and my husband know. They're like our best friends. And then some other family and friends that were in town. And it just ended up being absolute rager at the house like people there from like my childhood and like high school up into people that I've known for like two or three years so fun it was the best time and then some friends and family like stayed a little bit longer after that weekend and so we all hung out stayed up late watched movies went downtown it was so fun we did what we call in the south in Tennessee honky tonkin which is when we like go down Broadway hit up all the different like bars and music and then I went to the beach that week with my best friend of like 20 something years I was supposed to go to Bermuda but um the state of Oregon failed me and the passport agency and everyone I literally when I tell you I tried everything within my power to get my passport in on time it Mm -hmm. was a journey I was speaking with senators Jeff Merkley looking at you you were absolutely no help um And they were like, oh, we're going to try and make this happen. And then they just ghosted me. It didn't end up happening. It was terrible. I was supposed to go to Bermuda as my dad's like plus one on his business trip, which is like something we've always done. Didn't get to go, but ended up going to the beach with my best friend. It was an absolute blast. Looked fun. And yeah. And then I came back and life's just been boring ever since. Just kidding. I had a wedding this weekend. That was so fun. Had a wedding. Yeah. I love weddings. Do you like weddings? Oh, so I officiate them. They're the, I love officiating weddings. Um... I love, I love officiating weddings. Yeah. I, I'm an introverted heart. 
Okay. And so the receptions after um, are just usually not my jam. Not where you shine. I Where I shine is two places. On a stage officiating the wedding mm-hmm. and then in the corner with my cheese and cracker plate. Wow. That's that's the two places where You're not I, like on the dance floor? N- no? You really don't know me. I'm just saying like it's a wedding. I feel like then at that point nah, it's like, it's yeah, whatever. Not my, not my thing. Wow. I'm very okay. much a conversationalist for okay. sure. So I'm usually, honestly, I'm usually with the bride's dad just talking about yeah. like economics and how much the wedding costs, how they're yeah, going to recover. Like, Oof, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. You really had to cash out your 401k for that ring. Damn. I'm sorry. Yikes. That's, that's kind of, kind of my thing. I usually just do the Irish goodbye. Just you bounce. You say you're going to go to the bathroom and then don't come back or go get yeah, your jacket, go yeah. to coat check and then. But yeah. as like the pastor who's officiating the wedding, um, no one expects me to be the cool guy. Right. So right. I don't have to like, you know, yeah. kind of do that. It's nice to show face and then go yeah. if you're, yeah. I do wow. officiate, I do a mean offici- officiation, same. a mean officiation. So you should probably book. Hold on. Same. I love officiating. What? You officiated weddings before? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about present day Savannah who doesn't go near <laughs> anything that looks <laughs> Christian. I didn't even think about it. But like I've, so one, I love officiating weddings to this day because not everyone yeah. is religious, but right. you still need an officiant. Like even people that aren't Christian get married and they need someone to officiate and you, you have to just be like licensed in that state, which is just like you pay the $90 and you're done. But I love officiating Christian or not. I mean, now it would probably be best if it wasn't, but love it. How cool would it be if one day I know where you're going, two of our listeners, Mm -hmm. you want to finish the sentence with me? Two of our listeners meet, get married. And then we both officiate the wedding. Did I just read your mind? Is that where you're going? No, but you're supposed to like bounce back the word. So it'd be like you and I officiate the wedding together for Listeners. It doesn't matter anymore because you already finished it. But yeah, how ah! cool would that be? And how great would it be if like they haven't met yet? Oh my so God. then we have like an event where they meet, they fall in love and get married and we officiate. And how cool would it be if it like happened around the holidays? Hey, everyone, this Christmas, we're going to have our second Live show. This actually oh, we're doing wasn't. This, a, we're doing this now. Okay. This wasn't put on. It yeah, just yeah. I have no idea. Helped. We literally haven't talked about this in months, but I think you're right. Yeah, we now's a good time. Yeah, Christmas, Holy Hell Christmas show is coming up. Yeah. Do we have a venue? No. no. Do time? We, no. Absolutely not. Topic? Nope. Um, getting over depression during the Yuletide season. Absolutely not. Do we have a budget for this? Do we have money for this? No. Hell no. Absolutely not. Actually, we have one hundred and thirty-six dollars. <laughs> So if you would like to subscribe to our Patreon. Yes, please. That's a little plug for our Patreon. Which Um, has been so fun. Yes. Um, So fun. Especially the Discord has been great. Oh my gosh. If you, yeah, if you are a subscriber of Patreon, you automatically get into the Discord, which is also. For the second tier. Just be clear. For the second tier. Just be clear. Yeah. You get into the Discord. It's absolute chaos. We love it. You get extra content. Um, Just a little plug for the Patreon. It helps us do what we do. Eventually, we would love to continue doing this at higher capacities. More episodes, more regularly, maybe bi-weekly, and then eventually weekly. More in-person events. It just, it would, uh, you signing up for Patreon would mean so much because it truly means that you're partnering with us in this and we get to provide more content for you, which is our favorite thing to do. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, Ready to get into it? I think so. Roll the intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roll it. 
I'm Savannah, and I'm an atheist, kind of. Hi, I'm Josh, and I'm a Christian, kind of. And this is the Holy Hell Podcast, where we look at the Christian religion from a spiritual and historical perspective to understand how the hell we got to the Christianity we have today. And we're going to raise a little hell along the way. <laughs> nice. Nice. Our topic today is... Sexuality. Specifically, which, do we want to say homosexuality? Homosexuality. And this has actually been... I thought it was the second most requested topic after looking today, the most requested topic from our fan base, from our discord for anyone who's been listening. This is the one that they've yep. been asking for. And I think just to kick us off, to give you a, a little bit of a, Hey, where are we going with this? We're going to start off with our big topic today is for the listeners, giving you some tools yes. and some in the world of theology, we call it apologetics, some tools and things to use to look at, um, queer theology and uh, what does the Bible say about homosexuality actually and understanding mm -hmm. that context. And then we're going to have some conversations about what are the current convos and dialogues happening around homosexuality? Yeah. What are the passages that are most commonly used to condemn homosexuality and how can we revisit those with a more accurate interpretation? So Absolutely. that's where we're going with this today. Anything else you'd want to add to that? Yeah, I, I hope our hope for this episode, um, and you said it so well, really is twofold. One is to give you all the tools, even like descriptive tools. A big thing for me is wanting when you are with someone in your family or you're at your church and you identify as queer or you're a queer ally. My hope is when they use a certain text to say that the Bible is against homosexuality, you'd be able to send them a literal timestamp from this podcast and go, yep. can you at least give this conversation a little bit of your curiosity? I think that's one big part of it. And the other one is you and I come from spaces that in the past have been non-affirming spaces, right. whether that's part of the evangelical church or just the greater universal church as a whole. And Many, I counted them today for us, 14 different messages just to me directly from our wow. Holy Hell listeners um, saying either asking like, what does the Bible say about me? Because I'm queer and I've got a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. and shame over that, um, as well as other people just saying, thank you. I exited my church because I am wow. queer. And this is a very heavy topic, but it's a much important and beautiful and needed topic. Yep. And I think this is, my hope is this will be a really great resource for our fan base to use yes. in those conversations. I'm excited. It's going to be great. And I was telling Josh, I'm very nervous about this. Um, yes. This is kind of a random thing, but if, if you followed me personally on Instagram for a while, you know, I create a lot of videos around uh, homosexuality in the Bible and um, homosexual relationships within the Bible in antiquity. So this is a topic that I find myself fairly knowledgeable in. And then at the same time, the more I discover, the more I realize how little I know it's, do you ever have that feeling where uh, the more you discover, you're like, I, I know nothing about this. It's just the more you dig, the more stuff you find three times today. Yeah. So it is something that this is a topic that I've been the most nervous to record because yeah. I was just telling you this. My biggest fear is that I don't do right by the LGBTQ plus community and know that we want to center that story. And then also that we are two straight people yes, um, who just yeah. so happen to have a passion for this and a knowledge 
of context around this and we want to, I want to do it right. And I want to share perspectives. I want to share context, historical anecdotes and facts, and also make space for the story and the conversation because facts just on their own are very dry and they don't lend themselves to be conversational. Mm. So bringing that story in and, and how to do that beautifully is something that we probably won't land perfectly, but know that that is our intention in doing this while also recognizing the absence of LGBTQ voices Mm -hmm. in this and hoping that we can bring some LGBTQ plus voices in on this through the comments, through dialogue, through the discord, through the Patreon, through the public discourse, civil, you know, civil discourse in the comments and on Instagram and maybe doing some live content Mm -hmm. with some queer theologians. Um, so just, I want to announce that elephant in the room of knowing that and know that more voices are coming in this, Mm -hmm. um, in this conversation. Absolutely. And I thought to kick us off, we could start by walking through a timeline very quickly, two or three minutes of how our association with sin and homosexuality came to be. And just walking through that historical timeline really quickly so that when we start to have these more complex, abstract conversations, mm. they might get a little chaotic. We have a tight timeline that we can pin it to and just it. some context where we're all on the same page. So first and foremost, I want to start with after the Bible was written and composed around the fourth century, we get Augustine who talks about and really associates um, sex with sin in general, sex as sinful if it is not with the intention of procreation. And that's in the fourth century. Augustine says, if you are having sex and it's not for the act of procreating and making humans, it is sinful Mm -hmm. regardless. And then around the 13th century, this is when the church really has primary jurisdiction over marriage. And the church um, really starts to adopt Thomas Aquinas's idea of sex in that sex is only good if it is for procreation, is with a spouse, and with someone of the opposite sex. Those are kind of the three pillars that Aquinas says sex is not sinful. Sex is sinful unless it is for procreation, with a spouse, with someone of the opposite sex. If it meets those three criteria, then it's good. And so then that's when we really start to see 13th and then into the 16th century with the Protestant Reformation, right, Martin Luther, that's when we really start to see uh, a family-centered theology where sex is really associated with children and children are seen as a divine blessing. Mm. Salvation comes through bearing children. That comes from 2 Timothy. Women will Mm -hmm. reach salvation through childbearing, an idea that we no longer believe and the church does not accept, but it existed. And so... In the 16th century, we really start to see this link between that has been growing. This link between sex and procreation has been really growing since almost the Bible's completion. So yeah. the Bible was written, and then a couple hundred years later, we get Augustine saying, sex is for procreation. And then Thomas Aquinas is like, I second that motion. And then in the 16th century, the church is like, yeah, that sounds good. Sex should be for procreation. So we really start to link sex with making babies Mm. that, and that's not an idea or theology that is rooted in the Bible. That's actually a fairly new idea. Really the 13th through the 16th century, we start to see the two being linked. So then that really tees us up to view homosexuality as a sin because Mm. it inherently doesn't meet those three guidelines, Mm -hmm. right? It's not for procreation. It's not with the opposite sex and not with a spouse because gay marriage wasn't a thing yet. 
And so homosexuality being equated with sin, people tout that as a biblical truth when really it's a fairly new idea that came right. much later after the Bible's compilation mm -hmm. and really came from these philosophers in the Western world. And in the Western world, homosexuality or same-sex relations within the church were seen as bad because they went directly against not making babies, not with the opposite sex, not with a spouse. And so I wanted to talk about that for a second, just to kind of give an idea of, we often think when we think of, you know, the evangelical movement says homosexuality is bad. Homosexuality is wrong. That's not a message that is in the Bible. That is a message that came much later that we have then continued to extrapolate on and build on. And we've been doing it for so long that people think that it's a biblical idea, right. but it's not. Right. And I wanted to just put that out there. And I think our biggest takeaway for this, for this conversation mm -hmm. is, you know, basically we're about to get really messy. So I'm trying to be really strategic is homosexuality is mentioned a handful of times in the Bible mm -hmm. when it is mentioned it is not mentioned in a cohesive way. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's used uh, for different metaphors. It's mentioned in different stories, different genres. The definitions mean different vague things. There's no cohesive message in the handful of times that it's mentioned. So we can't make a cohesive sound theology out of it around condemning homosexuality. It's just not there. But because of the translations and the history we have, we convince ourselves that it is, mm -hmm. or I should say the evangelical church convinces itself that condemning homosexuality is, is sound theologically when right. it just isn't. Right. We're about to get really messy and talk about it, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to sit with that for a second and just yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my thoughts would be very linear with yours. This is also a particular conversation around a much universal conversation that is around uh, sexuality as a whole, but then also many of our Western evangelical mindsets behind this are deeply rooted in purity culture, which mm -hmm. will be a whole other episode. I'm sure that we will do, Oh yeah. which then also means how you read the Bible must first change before you understand a lot of these topics that we're talking about. AKA, if you are someone or you're part of a culture where your pastor or your spiritual thought leader is someone who reads the Bible literally, chances are, 100% of the chances are, they will speak against our queer communities because the Bible says so, right? Yeah. And so the first step in all of this, whether you're someone who is deconstructing your faith and you have questions around this, starting with the conversation around homosexuality may not be the best first step, Right. The best first step would be reframe how you read the Bible. Yep. Do you read it literally or do you read it literately? Do yeah. you read it the way it was supposed to be read in the culture and in the context it was read? Yeah. So I think having that mindset, because there are going to be, I'm sure, some mm -hmm. haters or some people in the comments saying, well, that's not what the Bible says. Yep. Just know the way that we read the Bible is probably not the same way you read the Bible. And that is why we have different, different, different differentiating deferring deferring opinions and they could this. they could listen to episode one in hell uh, on topic of hell because yes. we talk about biblical genres exactly and how to read them differently yeah great plug for episode one yes one. yeah on yes literally hell so, literally the other thing that i wanted to talk about is old testament versus new testament ayo because how homosexuality is talked about in the old testament is very different than new testament yes. to be fair homosexuality is mentioned like five times in the Bible. It's mentioned thrice 
in the New Testament, mm-hmm. not mentioned in the Gospels. It's not mentioned in the 10 out of what, 13 books. <laughs> I mean, mainly Paul, but yeah. Yeah, it's mainly Paul. And it's mentioned, it's not mentioned in the, in the Gospels. It's not mentioned mm-hmm. by Jesus. It's mentioned three times in the New Testament in two of the 12 books or three yeah. of the 13 books. And I then mean, like three in the Old Testament, but like one of them is like very loose. Right. And, and you can't count Leviticus. Exa- <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to talk about is Leviticus because people always bring that up. And just to put a bow on that last thought, where we're going with this is homosexuality is mentioned so little in the Bible, mm-hmm. and yet we've developed such strong theologies around it. I'm like, the topic and guidelines around beards are talked about more, and we don't have any guidelines about those. So I just don't understand the picking and choosing and cherry picking. It just doesn't yeah. make sense to me from a theological standpoint. That being said, Leviticus I think I'm going to blow your mind with this, but I don't know. Maybe not. Leviticus is my favorite book of the Bible. Okay, (laughs) tell me if you knew this or not. I found this in my research a couple of years ago when I was digging into this for a project, and it it clicked for me. Because when when I was a Christian, I was always um, LGBTQ affirming. Even before Mm -hmm. I knew why, I just always was. Same. Yeah, and and I, I, I attribute that to being raised by amazing parents and to being in a culture and time when these things are being talked about and affirmed, right? Could we also go back to like when, I think that would be really good and not to side derail right now, but maybe when we decided to change our minds, maybe even publicly, I even think about that. That was a big thing for me too. Okay. Um, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So Leviticus was one of the ones that I first went to because I was just going through the Bible chronologically and looking at all the times homosexuality was mentioned and Leviticus, uh, it says, uh, men are not to lie with men. Um, I'm going to butcher the exact verse. If you want to look it up, you can. Yeah, uh, I think it's Leviticus 18. 20. You want to read it for us? I think that would actually be kind of beneficial. For I our, think so. Okay. Let's read it. You I read think it it's out. mainly Leviticus 18.20. Yeah. And I'm going to give you some context there. for this. You shall not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife defiling yourself with her. That is not the verse. But that's also probably just a good thing not to do is have also, sex with your neighbor's yeah, yeah, yeah. We can wife. take that literally. That's fine. Keep going. I'll find it for us. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. We can cut this out if we want. But I should have written it down. I just didn't. I believe it's something like it's along those lines of not having sex with their neighbor's wife or any other dudes. Here it is. It's something like it's that. It's Leviticus 2013. Um we can cut all that out. <laughs> Literally had him so backwards. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm going to read it. It's Leviticus 2013. It says, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are, they are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Now, you'll notice that's a very violent last sentence. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own hands. In Leviticus... And there are a lot of incredible theologians that do a lot of deep dives on this. Dr. Stephen Patterson from Harvard, he does a lot of deep diving on this. But there's a lot of theologians that have done studies on it. Leviticus and in the Old Testament specifically, when it's saying men, you'll notice it doesn't say homosexual. It doesn't, we don't get any singular word. It's men lying with men mm-hmm. specifically. It's talking about in antiquity, men in war, when they had won the battle, would... Now, this is a huge trigger warning right before for sexual assault. So just trigger warning, sexual assault. Men who won the war would rape those that they beat. And that was extremely, extremely common. Mm-hmm. 
Men so that, that was actually, actually mm-hmm. a cultural thing. Exactly. Yeah. It was to establish dominance over those that you conquered. And they would rape them. They would assault them. That's what this passage is talking about. Right. And that's why at the end it's saying, put them to death. Their blood will be on your own hands. It's this wartime language of, hey, we know all of you already have swords. You're already killing people. Kill, this, kill these people in your, in your army that are on your side. If you see your men sexually assaulting those that they beat in battle, kill them. That's what it's saying. And we read this and we think it's talking the sin is the actual, the sex. The sin is not the sex. The sin is when somebody uses and sexually exploits another person. Right. Basically without consent. It's talking about rape. It's talking about sexual assault. Yes. And that to me, when when I discovered that, That's not a theory. That's not a, well, you don't know. That's contextually accurate. Mm -hmm. And we know this looking at other pieces of literature and wartime literature and looking at the surrounding laws. If you take the time or if you read other scholars' work where they have taken the time to understand the context of this, then we can actually understand what this passage is saying. And then it becomes very useful today. Mm -hmm. We can say, hey, this passage is talking about sexual exploitation and assault. Yeah. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And the two reasons that men lying with men or um, homosexual behavior in the Old Testament, when we see it condemned, it's talking about wartime assault or it's talking about the Jewish people not behaving like pagans. Mm -hmm. So in Leviticus, and there's a couple of other passages in the Old Testament where homosexuality is mentioned, or it says men should not lie with men Mm -hmm. or lust after men or go against nature, blah, blah, blah. The reason they're talking about that is because pagans would do that. Right. And the Old Testament also says not to uh, dress in a certain way, not to worship idols. Why? Because that's what the pagans were doing. Mm -hmm. So the sin was not the sex. The sin was doing something pagans did. In the New Testament, we see this all the time when uh, the authors, when when Paul says to women, don't wear jewelry, don't wear pearls, and don't wear gold. Mm. It's because that's what pagans did. Now we have no, the the sin wasn't the gold. The sin was behaving like a pagan. So now that's not a big concern. We see Christians wearing gold and pearls all the time and the same thing goes with with sexuality saying don't have sex with men that's what the mm-hmm. pagans were doing so they mm-hmm. just didn't want them to mirror them right so those are the two big reasons in the old testament that homosexuality is mentioned in a condemning way is mm-hmm. don't assault people in war and don't behave like pagans right the thing itself wasn't the mm-hmm. mistake. Right. And why we miss that. We miss it all the time. And this goes into why many Americans or just modern day Christians miss central themes in the Bible. Yeah. Again, reading it literally, not literally. Mm-hmm. This also goes into Genesis 19, where um, you have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where a iteration of homosexuality yep. is mentioned. Again, it is man on man sexual relationships mm-hmm. once again, which I do have one observation we'll make here pretty soon about that, yep. which I find somewhat fascinating. But that Genesis 19 passage has been widely used as look at Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord destroyed an entire city because of homosexuality. Not once in the passage of Genesis 19. Does it ever describe the act of homosexuality? Right. It describes men breaching into someone else's home and gang raping somebody. Yeah. The gender of the person was not the primary focus. Yeah. 
forcing yourself sexually on someone else is the primary focus. And so if you want to talk why in that literal sense of the Old Testament, why God would destroy an entire city, maybe it's because of gang rape and not because of whom you choose to spend your life with. What a concept. What a concept, right? And it's so funny because you read that passage. It's not hard to get that. It's right there. It's that right is there. actually right on the surface level. That yeah. is that is a literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. You can say, oh, they they assaulted, sexually assault, uh, assaulted and exploited this person. That's the mistake. Mm-hmm. I use the word sin sometimes, but I hate that word. That's the that's the mistake. That's the wrongdoing. Right. Is assaulting someone, is raping somebody. Mm-hmm. That's the it's not that hard. <laughs> but we have, our Western ears have fixated on, it was a man mm. having sex with other men. Yeah. Which is very similar to what Leviticus says. So right. I, I have right. one observation about Leviticus okay. and then uh, maybe one opinion about okay. both of these chapters. Leviticus, and the reason why I love Leviticus is because of what the book was before Leviticus shows up, which is the book of Exodus. And Exodus was about freedom. Exodus was a culture, a a group of slaves that found themselves eventually leaving Egypt, eventually becoming their own people. So if Exodus was all about someone becoming free, and we're talking about multiple generations of slaves in Egypt, if your mother and your grandmother were slaves in a different country and you grew up in that country as a slave— and you eventually find freedom and physically remove yourself from that country, no matter where you go, you will have that country's culture and influence upon you. Yeah. So Leviticus is God showing now the Israelites how to become their own people. Leviticus 1.1, it literally says that Moses meets God in the tent of meeting. And this phrase, tent of meeting, that is a war, Egyptian war phrase. They would set up a tent of meeting in the oh. middle of, of uh, it was for like the generals. It was two primary to focuses. kind of get their shit together. Get their but, shit together. Yeah. But it was also a place where they would set up their idols and speak to their Egyptian gods before they would go into battle. So of course, Moses would meet God in the tent of meeting. And throughout that. Leviticus, you see them becoming a little bit more and more, I would argue culturally or yeah. Culturally progressive, but then also becoming their own people. That's what Leviticus was all about. Us becoming who we were meant to be from the very beginning. So again, understanding maybe why there are wild concepts in Leviticus. It was God saying, this was their culture. Create your new. And we're going to create your culture, something brand new. So that's like why Leviticus was there. But one, just one perspective. We made a joke out of this for our very first reel we put up about where all the lesbians all are the lesbians. in the Bible. And what's funny and fascinating is there are no lesbians, which I would argue if a storyteller in the Bible is going to advocate against homosexuality, why would they choose the primary gender that would lead all the things in the Bible? The Bible has no problem speaking against women right. time and time again. They would have made it clear. So why would they have not made it clear? Yeah. That, or at least use a woman as the example. Yeah. Maybe that's because that's not what the Bible was talking about to begin with. Because, and I'll say this, it, women are not mentioned in the Old Testament because the issue, again, was in war. Who didn't go to war? Women. And so the issue 
is not the sex itself. It's using sex to exploit people. That's gonna be the that's gonna be the motto of this podcast is for this specific episode. I feel like I'm gonna be like just drilling it into people that the Bible is very evangelical's favorite thing to say is the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear about literally nothing. Nothing. Did you know that anyways, the Holy Trinity isn't even in the Bible, but that's another topic for another day. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what? Not, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Mind blown. Look it up. That's it. Um, we literally made it up. So doesn't mean the concept of it isn't real. I'm just saying the phrase, the idea is not in the Bible. Everyone, don't get your panties in a Calm bunch. down. But, Go okay. tent of meetings. There's so, uh, that is so, so I didn't know that about the tent of meeting is that, so Moses went to speak to God in the tent of meeting. And you're saying that when God is giving these guidelines or Moses is writing these guidelines about men lying with men, it's, it's a way to, one, it's talking about war and specifically in the, additional times that it's mentioned, it's also in an effort to differentiate themselves from the surrounding culture because homosexual relationships were very common at mm, the time. Mm -hmm. Very common. But it sounds like in the Old Testament specifically, and we'll get to it in the New Testament as well, it's not the sex itself. It's exploiting people. And also it's the misuse of power of, That's it, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's having someone uh, in that is a minor or someone that is young, that's really heavy in the New Testament, which we'll Very get heavy, to later. Yeah. But the idea with sex in the Old Testament is do not use sex as a way to exploit or use your power to come and bring your power onto someone else. Like yeah. to kind of, I'm trying to invoke or I don't know what the mm -hmm. right word is, but don't use it to manipulate. That's the word I'm looking for, to manipulate someone else. Absolutely. And I mean, just use like you and I, for example. Um, physically, I could probably overpower you in a heartbeat, yeah, right? Yeah, you could beat me to a pulp. So that would be Please then, don't beat me up, but okay. That, that, I really didn't like that. <laughs> Cut to you just like beating What if it's just like... That's like in our trailer for this episode. Just you going, please don't beat me up. Please like, don't beat me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll cut that right after I give you a present. Yeah. And then you, <laughs> me just looking at you like you didn't get me anything. You going, please don't beat me up. Cinematic masterpiece. Okay, Amazing. sorry. Um, it is on me then to distribute the power within a room yeah. in the right equitable way, right? Sure. Which the Old Testament does and the New Testament does very little of. Yeah. But at the same time, like when we're talking about Leviticus and power structures mm -hmm. inside of that, um, it also makes sense why the power structure looked like that because we're talking about a war general who wrote that book. Right, right. Which is probably why then Leviticus starts out in a war tent, yep. the tent of meeting. Yeah. It's a the theme of war. That also brings me up to another conversation, which we might have another day, of like the different forms of power. You have like physical power that might be stronger and then someone else might have a different level of like they might be a higher up or an official and they have like positional power. Mm. And it makes me think of uh, in the 19th you know, century in America, how um, slave owners mm. would assault their enslaved people and use that power over them because it was positional power and it's mm. this misuse. That is the mistake, that's the sin that the Bible is talking about, yeah. that white people had no problem committing for years and years and continue to do in uh, white men specifically using their physical power or positional power to sexually exploit those with lesser power. Um, that is a topic for another day. Another episode. Let's talk about the New Testament. Um, and before we do, well, no, let's do New Testament, and then I want to have a talk about uh, something else about the Western world's influence on homosexuality. But 
Do you want to talk a little bit about, there's three, three big old passages yeah. where homosexuality is mentioned. But specifically, there are two words that mm -hmm. are used that have been translated as homosexual. And those yeah. two words are malakoi and arsenikoitai. Right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the context of those two words before we get into examples where they're used? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So um, I think the first place that it is used is 1 Corinthians 6, 9, I believe. Yes. I don't know if you want to look that up. So we I can got actually it. You, just you want me to read it? Go for it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, do not be deceived, neither the sexual, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders will be blah, 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 enter the kingdom yeah. of heaven. Blah, blah, blah. So it's compiling everything. Yep. Sex workers, if you have an OnlyFans in the New Testament, like it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. piling all it's of it in there, right? List. It's a general list. But the main one that we like to focus on is that word homosexuality. Yeah. And you brought up those two words, asenokortai, and I just butchered how to say that. You got it. Asenokortai and malakortai. It is koitai though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so those two have been widely mistranslated over the years. I believe, I forget the year 1946. that, no, the other year it was in the 1800s when it was first was, let what me find mean? it. Like when the first, when it first, when it first arrived in the Bible, I believe it was like 1868. And then the way that it was reframed was in 1942, 1946. The word homosexual entered the Bible in 1946. When in 1946, yes. Wait, what happened in 18 what? Let's just skip it. Okay. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll hit that another, okay. another time. But those two words do not mean homosexual. Right. In its original understanding, its original imagination, those were words like pedophile, like having sex with a minor without consent. This is our Senecoitai for anyone wondering. Like, what word is he talking about? He's talking about our Senecoitai. Which then would make so much sense for that cultural context sexual exploitation oh my god within religious structures wow it's almost like that still exists today it's almost like if we had translated it correctly pedophilia would be condemned in the church we just leave that one that's right? so like it's there. almost like if we had translated it correctly things might be better right like all jokes aside our sinekoitai is usually mentioning and referring to male relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of them actually translates a pervert pedophile or young boy. Right. Our right? is usually translates to male relationships and is, has the emphasis on usually there being someone that is younger there, a misbalance mm -hmm. of power. Now that in and of itself in antiquity was actually very common. Yes. Almost seen as, and this is so weird to us today, but uh, older men having younger men that they would either have a deep relationship with or sexual relationship with was very normalized in that time. It was mm -hmm. almost seen as like a mentorship yeah. kind of thing. Um, and the Bible is condemning that and saying, hey, we know that that's normal for you guys to have, for older guys to have these younger guys kind of like in your presence, like being very close. No, 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 no. That's what this, these passages are likely condemning. Now, there's no mm – -hmm. this word – there's a lot, and I'm going to be linking a ton of sources uh, about the theologians that are doing the work on the on these on this vocabulary. But this word arsenikoitai, if they had meant to explicitly call out 
male sexual relationships between two men, they would have used different words. This word is so vague, ambiguous, and is usually hinting at some sort of connotation surrounding pedophilia or an older man with a younger boy or like a mentor-mentee situation. That's where we see this word used throughout Greek literature. And then malakoi literally translates to soft or like um, weak or um, effeminate or feminine, which would have been seen as very weak in men. So uh, malakoi is the one that's used in 1 Corinthians. So it says, do not be deceived, neither the... um, Sexual, immoral, idolaters, adulterers, or weak men will enter the... So it, it could have meant a myriad of things. It could have meant, meant men that don't, you know, provide or are lazy is another term, another term that Malakoy had been translated as lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that time, uh, feminine men with feminine characteristics or traits were seen as not good. Mm-hmm. And that's typically... And more likely what is being talked about here. We're talking about weak men, which is still also in another context we've evolved from. Mm. But that is what this word malakoi is likely talking about. The word malakoi being linked to male-male sex is such a stretch that even the people that translated homosexual into this passage have since then come out and apologized and realized that they messed up because it is such a weak, poor, inaccurate translation. And on top of that, this is where I was going with that 1800 uh, day I had earlier. The word homosexual, not when it entered the Bible, the word homosexual arrived into common language in 1868. Really? So then, if you want to go to your pastor and talk about this, and he tells you, it's the Bible is clear, it says it right there, homosexuality is right there. Mm. You're not allowed to be gay. Go to her or him and go, okay, so when was the Bible written? He'll give you some date that is much farther back than 1868. And then hit him with, okay, but the word homosexuality didn't exist until 1868. And yeah. just see what we do or what happens with that. Yeah. Open that dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Because the math isn't mathing. Math isn't mathing. Do we want to talk about uh, good old Romans 1, 26 through 27? Oh, let's go. I can read it. That one's a rager. Yeah, buckle up. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Hello, lesbians. Lesbians have entered the chat. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of that error. That just sounds like they're into some weird shit. That is. <laughs> I have some. So so here's the thing about this passage. Arsenicoitai and Malakoi are not used. What is so interesting is in the original Greek, because I'm a language nerd, we've all established that, is the words dishonor and contrary to nature are used here. And so it's women who have dishonored themselves men who act contrary to nature. I'll, that being said, this passage is talking about sexual relations, same-sex relations. So those listening where you're like, that's technically, you're right. It's technically talking about same-sex relations here. And so you could translate that to say this. I would say this is a pretty accurate translation, mm-hmm. actually, looking at the original language. It's a dishonor, contrary to nature. That is the typical way that 
Yeah, Authors, Paul in this day is saying the thing without saying the thing, dancing around it. It's very common. It's why we don't have a lot of explicit sexual content in the Bible. They dance around it, right? You, we say the thing without saying the thing. It's saying sex, same-sex intercourse is what this is talking about. However, keep in mind, this is one of those few times that Paul is mentioning it. Jesus never mentions it. It's not in the Gospels. It's not in any of the other books except it's mentioned thrice in the New Testament. Paul is mentioning it. And Paul said a lot of things we don't do anymore. Paul said that women are saved through salvation and childbearing. Mm-hmm. I don't become saved until I have a baby. We, he was very clear about that, clear as day, 2 Timothy. Paul said that uh, something about men shouldn't shave their beards. Paul said that um, women are not allowed to gold and pearls, right? Um, Paul said, uh, and the Bible in general, right, says that, you know, you should be uh, killed if you commit adultery, right? We seem to have evolved from that just fine. Um, so keep that in mind, that we've somehow held on to this, but Paul said a lot of other specific shit that we have no problem evolving from and ignoring. Mm. But this we have to take literally. And we take we take this very literally that Paul said. And we take um, Paul saying that women should not speak in church very literally. We also take tithe from Leviticus very literally. Very literally. So why might we do that? Why do you think we take those things literally? Because my thought is it, the people in power in the church have predominantly been white men who benefit from this. They benefit from women not speaking. They benefit from um, making people tithe 10% or else they're going to hell, AKA prosperity gospel. And they benefit from uh, a homophobic theology Mm -hmm. because it's going to keep their congregation abiding by their own beliefs. And it's going to keep homosexuals out of their church, Mm -hmm. right? So these are just random, the picking and choosing of what we take literally. So there's that part of Mm -hmm. it of, yes, Paul said this, but he also said a lot of other things that we don't take literally that are in the same genre. Mm. Two, Paul, God bless him, was really going through it. Paul was really persecuted before he became a Christian for being a terrible person, literally horrible, persecuting Christians for their beliefs, blah, 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 like it's giving trauma. Mm. And then has this awakening meets Christ on the road to Damascus and then just becomes like a a Christian. He's got, he's on the spiritual high, right? It's it's post Jesus camp. It's, uh, it's post church camp. It's giving home from VBS. Like he is just ripe and ready to (laughs) preach the gospel. And so I sometimes, and I can't believe I'm about to say this. I have a little bit of grace for Paul. And that's probably the last time I'll say that because He is creating, it's to me, I read this and I think this man is creating so many rules for himself to make sure he doesn't mess it up again. He was so horrific that he's now um, compensating for all of the terrible things he did by trying to be perfect Mm -hmm. and creating all these rules. He says, Paul says, it's better to be unmarried than to marry. He says that in Romans, he says, it's better to be unmarried than to marry. Does the church abide by that? No, the church yep. pushes marriage yeah. hard. hard. Some might say too hard. So so we've 
we're fine letting go of Paul's beliefs every now and right. like for the most part, we've looked at Paul and been like, they're there. Okay. Like that's for you, but not for us. Mm-hmm. But for some reason with this one, we're like that, let's take that literally yeah. and never let it go. So Paul has created for himself, all of these rules about it's better to be unmarried than to marry and homosexuality and don't do this idol worship and don't wear this jewelry and don't shave your beard. And when you say this, not that and child, childbearing, he's creating all of these rules and then trying to funnel them to other people to keep them from making the same mistake that he mm-hmm. did. It's almost like a helicopter mom who's so scared of their kids messing up that she creates too many barriers that are actually ineffective. Mm-hmm. And too many rules and helicoptering over then prevents relationship. So he's kind of creating these arbitrary rules to make himself feel like he's doing something. Right. Even though these things were not important mm-hmm. to Jesus Christ. I don't, do you see that at all? Is yeah, that, I, mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think many of us would view Paul as an extremist in a lot of ways. That's a great word. We all have those people in our lives. We all work out. We all eat decently well, I would hope, except for me who ate a Hot Pocket like two nights ago. They're so good. You gotta live. I kind of want it for my 36th birthday or maybe the Saturday yeah. might get all the different hot pockets and do like a taste test. Oh, the pepperoni one is. We should so do that for our Patreon. Um, yeah. Hot pockets and hot topics. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Hot pockets and hot topics. Yo, sign me up. Wow. God. I That's love good. Wow. We need it. We're going to do that. That's our next one. We, cause I want to be involved. Um, Need to trademark that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll write it down. We'll write it down. Okay, anyways, anyways Paul. So Paul. I, have, I have two thoughts. One is around fear and power structures, but mainly around Paul himself. He was a full-fledged fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have those people. I was getting, This is where I was going with the Hot Pocket to, to, uh, topic. Was We all have those people who we all eat well. Mm-hmm. We all work out. And then you have those people that are like, I'm all about the meal prep, bro. Yep. Like breakfast is like cold oatmeal and like whey protein, bro. Right. It's, it's like Emily's pointing at me because that's, that's what I do. Um, but then you have the people who push that on other people going that salad is actually very calorically terrible for you. Like the Caesar salad dressing, yeah, like 600 calories right there. What are you doing? Like you need to be eating chicken and rice only. That's all you should be eating. Right. And also after we're going to do this, we're going to go for a half marathon run and then go work out. That's the type of person Paul was. Paul was very regimented. He was very rigid in his Mm -hmm. beliefs. It was very literal, very black and white. I would even argue that's what Jesus came to undo was a lot of black and whiteness within religious context. Paul was essentially paying penance through his extreme extremism. Um, He saw how much he had done wrong and was trying to correct it this way, but also identifying with black and white rigid ways is a very uh, transactional ROI. It's very easy to go. This is the right. This is, this is the wrong. If I do this, I can check, 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 check. It's very intellectual relationship. Exactly. It's very intellectual. It takes way more, mental bandwidth than yeah. it does heart bandwidth. Yeah. You don't have to feel for the person. You can just go, but that's wrong. And so I don't need yeah. to give you soul equity with this. That's, so that's what Paul was doing. But I would also argue that's what a lot of evangelical and church mm-hmm. structures do now. Yep. When you don't understand something, sometimes we become afraid of it. And when you become afraid of it, sometimes you go on the defense for it, which is why you have a that's lot of good. Christian extremists in a lot of ways. Do you think, can I interject with a question? Go for it. Do you think, and I, let me ask it first. Do you think people, 
are afraid to question or be open to a homosexual affirming queer affirming theology because they're afraid that if they are if they open themselves up to it their entire faith will crumble is it the fear of oh my gosh what does this mean for and then they're afraid they're going to lose their faith i think it's a power thing okay i think the ones that are not part of churches have no problem believing in god sure while also loving their queer neighbor yeah I think the people that go to a church that is explicitly non-affirming is not, they are more afraid of losing their community by coming out as affirming. If you go to a church and you hear someone say, um, being gay is a sin, I would argue deep down inside of most people they are full-fledged affirming because there is no harm. There is no violence inside of that. You lose nothing. But by saying that publicly, by affirming your queer neighbor in a place where they wouldn't be affirmed, you are putting yourself at risk of being pushed out of your own culture. Yes, okay. But then the flip side is the people who stand on the stages and say that. I have been in back rooms with pastors who have asked me about the affirmation of our, our church community here in Portland and have literally heard them. And we're talking about pastors who have thousands of people at their church and have been publicly known to say that homosexuality is a sin. And have looked me in the eye and said, I wish like I'm right there with you. I'm a fully affirming person. And they've literally said, I wish I could do that with my church. I had a pastor say that to me. Because they're yep. so afraid of losing everything that they have. And also let me make it clear. If you're a part, if you're leading a community that at one point like if you're going to be coming out as a queer affirming church space, you will lose something. Yeah. You will lose money. You will lose resources. You will lose people. You could lose your reputation and your character. Uh, we have all, you lost a job and I lost a quarter of a million dollars in funding. Like yep. we, we've all lost something, but we both can contest that what we have learned and who we get to share our lives with on the other yeah. side is way more beautiful than all the money and all the buildings and yeah. all the titles in the world. It's, and I think it, it goes without saying, but coming out as affirming is nowhere near as traumatic as coming out. Absolutely not. But I also want to note something else entirely. I don't know why I said, but it's unrelated. If you are an affirming person and you're in an environment where you don't feel like you can be affirming, it takes some intentional planning. If you know that you're going to have to, I knew I'd have to put in my two weeks. I yeah. knew as soon as I came out, I came out, came out as affirming, I would be, I had to send my two weeks beforehand. So, cause I knew what was going to come. So I had to plan. We, my uh, husband and I had to financially plan right. and say, Hey, we are no longer cool with just drumming along here. We are going to be very vocal about where we stand with certain things. We need to plan ahead and really kind of, so it does, there is a, uh, I don't want to say a compromise, but there is a strategic way that you can do it, you, it to minimize the loss because it, nobody benefits from you losing everything, right. right? So if you can strategically plan, get some people in your corner, have the conversation, secure other positions or jobs or opportunities, right? Or uh, find other community and start building it out. So then when you make that transition, say, hi, I'm affirming whether you like it or not. Yeah. If they reject you and now you don't have a community or if you are a person that is queer and you come out and you're rejected from that community, you've built out your safety net mm-hmm. that you then transition into. Yeah. So 
I always want to say that you don't have to be a martyr. You can plan yeah. ahead, but also recognizing that it is super, super hard to fake it until you have that safety Absolutely. net and just, and just holding that complexity of, I had someone message me when I was at my previous job saying, Hey, why have you not come out doing any like uh, queer theology videos yet? And I was honest with them. I said, I would lose my job if I did know yeah. that we are currently planning to make an exit. And as soon as I leave, those videos will come out. Yeah. And I told him, I said, I'm uncomfortable right now. I hate doing it, but we also have to eat. Yeah. And knowing that the world will not crumble if I wait a couple of months to plan it out. And he was the, he responded perfectly. He said, thank you so much for being transparent. I recognize that. And I will be looking forward to it. And the week after we left, I put out the homosexuality series because I'd already filmed it. And so holding that complexity. I know that's not really what we were talking about today, but I but think you being as a pastor and me as a former pastor, like, yeah, it's that yeah. planning out because then you can be emotionally healthy. You've become affirming you're out or maybe you're out as a queer person, but because you've done the back end work of mm -hmm. preparing and knowing, recognizing that it's unfair that you have to do that backup work as a queer person, yeah. it's unfair and stupid, but don't let someone else's rejection of you be your demise at the end of the day you've you've taken care and you've watched your own back and you've got that backup plan and you run into that new community and you are mentally healthy and stable because you did that extra unfair work mm -hmm. beforehand yeah anyways that's a whole thing that i learned by not doing that i mean, it's not like you know you learn as you go yeah it, and i do find it fascinating that we were talking about paul and we immediately, I would even argue that if this is a sidetrack, went down the road of power structures. Yep. Because Paul was very powerful in his mm -hmm. day. And power structures built out of fear. Yeah. Because a lot of things that Paul did was built out of fear. 100%. I don't know if we're going to get to this later on, but are we going to talk about the evangelical structure of you belong here language? Are we going to hit that later? Oh my God. Because again, this podcast, our intention is not just, we are not here to continue to blast other cultures yeah. and stuff, but there are certain things that there are many people that are a part of things that do not realize those power structures are actually creating harm. Yeah. And I do think it is responsible for us, especially in this conversation to maybe ask some of the questions that if your church is very ambiguous with this, that might be telling you what their actual stance is yes. around this. Are we going to hit that later I or think, are we going to? I think now would be the perfect time because we're, we've kind of transitioned out of, so just to sum up here in the old Testament, the biggest reasons that homosexuality was mentioned is wartime assault and rape. Um, that's like one of the biggest ones and behaving like a pagan and wanting to differentiate yourself yeah. in the new Testament. Homosexuality is mentioned a handful of times all by a single person who was having a traumatic awakening and trying to overcompensate Paul. Mm. Um, so he's talking about one time he's specifically talking about homosexuality, actually meaning sex with same, same sex intercourse. It's the one time he talks about it and, uh, we take that literally, but we don't take 80% of what he says literally at all. So it's really a conditional verse. And then the other times it's arsenikoitai and malakoi that are used that are very weak, poor translations. So poor that the previous translators have come out and apologized and said homosexuality is an incorrect interpretation and we're sorry we messed up. So just to kind of sum up basically what we were talking about of like Old Testament and New Testament reasons, mm. I would think would now would be a beautiful time to transition into the Western Christianity's influence on and pushing of anti or homophobic propaganda. Yeah. And one of the things that I always like to mention is 
Remember at the beginning when I said like fourth century Augustine says sex is for procreation. And then in the 13th century, the church is like, yeah, bro, like we're totally on board with that. Like sex should be for procreation and nothing else. And then the 16th century, they're like, bet that is a perfect thing. Like, let's keep it up. So that's all just happening in Europe, like white people. That's white people messing it up as usual. Meanwhile, in the Middle East and Africa, there are gay Christians out the wazoo, like homosexuality and queer, queer communities in the Christian community are coexisting and nobody's questioning it. Like then Europe comes in and does what they always do and ruin everything <laughs> and came in and conquered land in Africa, in the Middle East and said, why is there, what is this? Why are all, who are all these gay people? This is wrong. We're going to teach you our version of Christianity says it's wrong. So y'all need to stop. That went, and I just find that not even surprising. You're like, yeah, that tracks, but so disappointing that this European and for all the white people watching that are like, oh my God, like that's not, it's true. Look it up. It's true. That's I'm done with the people that are like me getting angry on this podcast. I'm literally like, I'm done with the people that refuse to go read a book and do the research and just get upset because they don't like the information mm -hmm. instead of bringing a counter piece of information. People will be like, that's not true. That's stupid. I'm like, okay, then what really happened? No answer. So go read, go look it up. I'm going to link the sources. So before you get angry, there were gay Christians all around the world, except in Europe. Okay. <laughs> So the framing of that was just fucking genius. It's not fake. It's not fake. So it's not me pushing a woke good agenda. God. That's just history. And you can look it up. There are conservative and progressive Christians all around the world that know this. It just feels progressive to us Americans because we're a homophobic culture. Some would say this is radical thinking. Some would. You know what I would say to that? That the word radical comes from the Latin word radix, where we get the word radish. So the radical is not the one who comes up with the new ideas. The radical is one that goes back to the original source, goes back to the Go roots on, of where it is. So who is, radical, home, who is a radical? The ones who actually create space yes. at their tables yes. for everyone. Almost the same way Jesus said for us to do that. Would you, you little <sighs> I radical? Like in there. I think we could. Anyways, I just needed to put that out because it, get, it really gets me riled up when people say they get angry because mm -hmm. they don't like what they're hearing, yeah. but they have no rebuttal. Yeah. And not that this is a debate. I think that if you feel defensive hearing that there were gay and queer Christian communities all over the world, except for in these areas, you know, the Roman empire, right? Except for in these white centric cultures, there were queer Christians that were thriving and, and, and read the, read the scriptures and, and didn't create a homophobic theology from mm -hmm. it. They read it and got the right interpretation. Yeah. Europe didn't. And then they right. conquered everywhere and spread their wrong interpretations and thus has created this homo homophobic theology that the evangelical church is so famous for. And so if you hear that and you think that can't be true, that's not right. Go. I would encourage you before you leave a rude comment that is maybe something that you would maybe need to count to three before typing, mm -hmm. right? Before you type something you regret, go do your research. Yeah. I, I don't know everything. Go research and go have conversations. Also, all of these notes are in our footnotes. Please read the authors. Don't leave us a one-star review saying, I wish they would cite all the footnotes. They're in the notes. Because they're in the notes. Please.
Please. I spend a long time putting those notes together. So if you could please check them out. Yeah, if if you're gonna leave reviews. Right. <laughs> which does affect now our income. Yes. If you're gonna leave reviews, just make sure to source everything. Yes. You you say. Yeah. I wish you could respond. Yeah. To review so you could like and, sorry, don't get me wrong. Like we have mainly incredible reviews. Main like literally like sixty to a hundred reviews of incredibleness. But one once our review kind of F's mm-hmm. the whole structure. And when you say something like, I wish they would source all their material, if you're watching and you left the one star review that says, I wish they would cite their footnotes, this go back and you. change it to five stars because we do. Go change your review. I have a couple things I'd love to end with. Okay, also, just I'm just looking it. at the other person that commented and said that, that sh- they couldn't take Savannah seriously because I made jokes. I'm sorry, if you've, if you've never met an, uh, you, that to me tells me you've never met a funny and intelligent woman. And to that, I would just say, I'm sorry. And I know a lot. So if you need like okay, a funny, but, intelligent friend, but literally in the same one, you got a whole paragraph of the I guy know. and then he just puts, he's like, Josh, like his jokes are just really bad. Literally a whole paragraph about how he, cause I'm assuming it's a man, obviously. Uh, cause he hates smart, funny women, uh, a whole paragraph about why he hates me. And then like one sentence. And about he's just you. like, Josh, yeah. like no one cares about Josh. I'm so sorry. That was unfair. I was like, God. if you're going to insult me, at least be creative and that you were. So I give it to you. Okay. What did you want to talk about? Something really fun. Um, that's in the Bible. And I've heard a couple of, uh, a rabbi friend of mine told me this, uh, like five or six years ago, uh, just an opinion just for everyone to go with, I think would be fun. Okay. One of the reasons why Joseph who received a coat of many colors, why his brothers decided to essentially become fearful of him and then literally abuse him violently. Yeah. There's a whole theological imagination built around the idea that maybe Joseph was more on the feminine side and his brothers did not understand him. Because what he received from his father was his father seeing his identity going, you are going to receive something that looks different than what I would give the rest of my sons, <gasps> a.k.a. a coat of many coat colors. Of many Again, colors. this is all built out of opinion. Just a theory, but yeah. Just a theory, but if that could be why. I thought that was kind of fun. Something That's for all of us to maybe process. Also, if you base your theology not off the Bible, but off of Jesus, you might be saying this is what the Bible says, but... Paul says a lot of things. The Old Testament says a lot of things. If Jesus came to undo those things, then what does Jesus say about my sexuality? Not even homosexuality, but about my sexuality. I think a better question to ask there is what else does Jesus talk about? That might be a little bit more important. Okay. So for example, Jesus talks about money 11 times in the scriptures. He talks about food 37 times in the scripture. Love him for that. Your boy loved food. Um, he talks about equity between people, either a sense of justice or equity. Um, talks about that 39 times throughout the scripture. He talks about peace through nonviolence. Because remember, in his culture, peace was always found through the sword. It was found through war, found through the gun. So he talks about a new way, a third way of peace, a way of nonviolence. Talks about that. There's a lot of compiled here, but around 57 to maybe 60 times. Now... That means also he talked about money 11 times more than sexuality. He talks about food 46 times more. Do, do you get, do you see what I'm doing here? Yep. He talks about peace through nonviolence 58 to 60 times more. Jesus never talked about someone's homosexuality. He talks about sexuality very, very briefly, but about someone's gender. And if it's okay for you to love someone that looks and acts and is the same gender as you, Never mentioned. Doesn't ever mention it. 
So if anything, let's maybe focus on the primary things that Jesus said should matter the most in this life. What he said matters the most in life, really good food, taking care of yourself and your neighbor, making sure everyone has all their needs met and loving everyone, uh, period. Not yeah. loving your neighbor, loving everyone, except if they are loving right. your neighbor. That's so good. And you know what I'm thinking? God, that's so good. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm going to go back and I'm going to put that in a reel because what you just said is so important. And I'm like, I'm letting it sink in because even as an atheist, I still admire Jesus as a figure. I think I've said this before. I still admire him as a, as a historical figure because that concept of loving everyone and equity mm-hmm. and peace require those that have positions, dimensions, and forms of power to seed that power and mm-hmm. spread it across. And they don't want to do that. Those in power don't like to give it up. Power has to be taken. Yeah. And so what I think we're seeing today is, and what we've seen throughout history, mm-hmm. um, is people taking that power because human nature is when we have power, we don't give it away. But Jesus says, if you have power and someone else doesn't, you have to spread the power. Mm-hmm. You have to spread the access. You have to spread this decision-making positions. Yeah. And because we see so many immigrants and minority, the BIPOC community, the queer community, not having access to power and those with power, not giving it to them. And what I mean by that strategically is the pay gap, not paying your BIPOC community members the same as your white. Right. And so t- no pay transparency in your workplace. If you're a CEO, if you're an HR person, this is what I mean specifically. When I talk about unfair equity and unfair holding of power and how Jesus was spreading power evenly, how we can do that on a strategic level is pay transparency. It's having minorities in key position, key decision-making positions in your workplace. It's honoring the stories and centering the stories of minorities in your home, in your, in your sphere of influence, in your friend group. It's shopping locally, right? It's building up the voices of those that are, are previously unheard. It's getting minorities and those that are living below the poverty line access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's, it's education for all. And it's, yeah. it's making sure that kids in school have access to a meal in the summertime, that yeah. those students living below the poverty line still get that free lunch and that free breakfast, yeah. right? It's access to textbooks. It's Wi-Fi in low-income neighborhoods. It's food deserts. I mean, those are the things that we need to be focusing on. And yet we are so focused on making sure that uh, homosexual relationships don't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. How is that productive? Right. <laughs> and it just seems so obvious to us. Mm-hmm. But the evangelical space has such high power, high monetary and decision-making power in America, and they're holding it and they're not, they're not giving it away and they're not yeah. dispersing it. We see it all in politics today where any policy that is um, infringing on the rights of homosexuals, of women, of people of color, right? If, if any policy that is infringing on their rights, the, the root of it is this evangelical ideology. Yeah. And they're not spreading that power. And so that's why we see minority communities taking it as mm-hmm. they should. End of my soapbox. I'm sorry. No, and it's a beautiful soapbox. 
this goes into what Mine Jer- was like the angry version of what you said. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, in being a pastor who pastored in the evangelical space for the majority of my adult life that now lists, uh, lives in a fully affirming space, a very decentralized church space that does and pursues and tries to do many of the things that you're doing versus me standing on a stage yeah. speaking about the things. Um, it very much goes into what Jeremiah said. We mentioned this a couple of episodes ago about swords, swords becoming plowshares, something violent and taking all the energy that causes violence to minority groups or any, any group of people taking all of that energy, all the resources and finances and bandwidth and the buildings and what we say, using all of that energy and creating something beautiful out of it. Mm. So what I'm saying is uh, there's a couple of mega churches that I know of that have become fully affirming and many smaller churches and more middle-sized churches, two to 300. Those are predominantly the ones becoming affirming. And I've never met one who has said, we really regret making this decision. So at the same time, um, we said this a little bit earlier, but if you are part of a church that has never really talked about this topic, ask and just watch the response that you get. Again, this podcast does not exist to be on the attack because I don't think we need to, um, we dismantle power structures through mm-hmm. what the Bible actually says. Um, cause shocker was written by slaves. So slaves aren't big advocates for power structures, right. obviously. Um, but if you are part of a church that continually uses language like welcome home or you belong here, those phrases yes. can have great meaning. Part of our community here. We call ourselves a community of beauty and belonging. We use that word belonging. We're here to create spaces of belonging, but we have so many sub titles under belonging and we make it very clear who it's for. So if your church does not make it, make themselves clear around thoughts of affirming the queer community, um, ask. And if you receive some essence of a PR statement back in an email and a text and a if you were asked, let me say it this way. If you were asked to go get coffee and meet with the pastor so they can have a big dialogue about that, um, whatever he or she says about being affirming, if they never actually look at you and say, we are a fully inclusive, fully affirming space, also know inclus- inclusivity and affirmation are two very different things. Yep. Inclusivity yep. means you have space to come here. Affirmation says we're... Inclusion says you have a seat at the table. Affirmation says you can come back in the kitchen, help us cook this culture. And so if you are using phrases like inclusivity, ask, no, no, no. But ask things like, would you have a queer person on your board? Would you hire a queer pastor? Is there a queer pastor or someone that identifies as queer on your, on your staff? If the perfect candidate came through your church, the perfect public speaker, the perfect pastor and you wanted to hire them on the dot, and they even wanted to do it as a service to the church, and they were queer, would you allow them? Pull out a yes or no. And if you are a part of a theological or Christian space that is a non-affirming space, and it's not really a big deal to you, but like you have a queer sister or a queer neighbor, and that space that you're part of is non-affirming, just know you're helping perpetuate a culture that is creating violence against a culture. I know yeah. those are strong words, but they are important and needed words. Yep. And you and I both, again, I grew up in a culture that constantly told me, 
that homosexuality is a sin. I remember the first time I had a thought about it. I know I'm kind of derailing, but I think this is important. No, I think everything you're saying is so valuable. Keep going. I was 11 years old in my backwoods Baptist church back in Nowhereville, Indiana. And I can't even tell you what my youth pastor was talking about. I was on the front uh, front pews, like where all like the preteens sat, which backwoods Indiana, there's like two of us, me and probably a cousin I even know had. Good. This is good. And... I can't even tell you what he was talking about, but all I remember is two things. Him saying the phrase, um, gay people are nothing more than, and he used two words um, that I'm not going to repeat, but words that would just be used as violent words to our, our queer community. I remember two things that happened. One was the amount of amens that were around me and the feeling of, unsafety I felt. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm as straight as they come, baby. Right. So like, but even you sensed, the, but like, yeah. these are all my teachers, my mentors, again, small town, Indiana. These yeah. are all the people that teach me how to be me. And the amount of people around me that I just felt that agreed with that made me feel off, but there was something, and I call it a Holy flinch, something mm-hmm. that he said, and I couldn't put words. I didn't have the theological understanding or even the words to tell you why I felt the way I just immediately knew whatever he just said, that feels off. And I'm like 10 or 11 years old. Right. Yeah. And I've obviously, I believe in God. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And in that moment, there was that universal gut check inside of me. Some may call that the Holy spirit moving in you. There's something in me that went, do not listen to that. Cause yeah. that is not what I'm about. And that stuck with me through all these years. And eventually, just like you, I had to make the decision to publicly just say, this is who we are. And like I said, it was overnight. Um, Emily, who's part of our church plant, is in the room. And I remember texting her the night that we lost all of our funding overnight because we had a church network ask, would you do a gay wedding? And my response back was, what is your bigger theological meaning behind that? Because doing the performance of a wedding is or not doing the performance the performative nature of a wedding has a much deeper theological meaning and they wouldn't even answer that and then told us we cannot partner with someone who who won't even say out loud that they're non-affirming so you're going to lose something Mm -hmm. and i said this at the beginning and i think this is important to say at the end you might lose your church building you might lose your title as a pastor you might lose everything in your reputation and what you're known for. Um, even if you have whatever you want to call it, a platform or you've done a book and you have fans and all of that, you might lose all of that. But what you gain on the other side, the friends, the stories you hear, yeah, people DMing you and just saying thank you. For once in my life, I finally have someone saying I'm okay. I had someone in my DMs a couple of days ago who um, they heard me talk about my birthday last week. And she said, you are the same age as my older brother. My older brother's a pastor. I think she's in her late teenage years. And she said, all I've ever wanted from him um, was for him to say me being gay isn't a sin. And he's told me the opposite of that. She's like, it's funny. Cause like you have the same hair, you have the same beard as him. And she's like, there was just something about hearing it from you that kind of looked like him, but you're a pastor. Mm. And for you, so 
take my fucking paycheck. I yeah. don't care. As long as my life's work can make sure that we're creating safe spaces, yep. both for you to explore your spirituality, but then also safe spaces for every queer identity like that. It's almost like that's why this whole thing exists. Yeah. I have nothing. Done. I'm not going to add to that. That was beautifully said. This was a good one. This I'm glad we could one. do this one. I that was that turned heavy as I think it should. Absolutely. And knowing that we are just two people and we don't know everything about this topic. We love learning about it. I say that we love it. It's very hard, but we love it. We love yeah. we wouldn't be here if we didn't love doing this. We are continuously learning. And I've learned from you in this, and I'm sure vice versa. Like we are learning from each other and from you guys in the in the dialogues that we're having. And we're gonna continue to do that. If there are stories, perspectives, and things that you want to share respectfully in the comments, in the, you know, if you want to message us or email us, please. I think this is a space that is dialogue centric. Yes. Um, and spiritually and historically focused, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think of the way to find a balance for all of that, but centering the stories and the experiences and recognizing that we're all coming from different perspectives. Um, and at the same time, honoring this spiritual and historical side of this yeah. is what we're all about. So thank you all for listening. I have no fun way to end this. Subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe mm, good, to our good, Patreon, good. um, support your local queer businesses. Yes. Oh, that reminds me. Can I just give a few Shout out to people they should follow. Yes. And uh, also uh, not citing sources, but resources yes. too, right? Yeah. I got so a couple too. There are a few. I've actually listed a few on here that I'm going to read them out so that I don't butcher the names because I've spelled all of them. But there are a couple of books that I think these are all in the podcast notes. These are all in the podcast notes, but just a few that I think you guys should check out. Some some oldies but goodies. Marcella Atheist Reed. Um, she's an Argentinian the theologian that specializes in queer theology. That's an, I have a whole list here, but I'm just going to um, list a few. James V. Brownson, um, American theologian. He wrote the book, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, Bi the Bible, Gender, and Sexuality. So those are just a couple. I've listed a ton that I will, uh, Patrick, Patrick S. Chang. There's so many. I'm going to list them. But some people that you can follow online on Instagram right now, get out your phone, is at Adam Erickson. I'll also put these in the show notes. Uh, my friend, my really good friend, Mike Mashiro, who's my 30th birthday because yeah. he lives in Nashville. Um, uh, queer Theology. Literally, the hashtag is just Queer Theology. And then my friend Yema at um, Confidently Queer. At Confidently Queer. At Queer Theology. At Adam Erickson. At Mike Mashiro. Those four are some incredible voices mm -hmm. in the queer theological space that yeah. are doing work in a fun way, um, in a way that is kind of cheeky and irreverent and at the same time completely reverent towards the yeah. scripture they're doing it really well from all different perspectives so yeah. uh that's a really diverse group of voices that i wanted to highlight those are great uh, a couple other books that are fantastic changing our minds by david gushy is Ooh, a great okay. book i haven't read that one um he was a professor that was once uh, non-affirming that became affirming and then a good okay. follow-up to the book changing our minds is a more broader book that david gushy wrote he's a professor i He's a professor somewhere. Um, but he, He's a professor. Uh, also wrote a book, Post Evangelicalism. Okay. And it's more of a handbook. Those two are more of a handbook. You don't read that chronologically. You don't start at the beginning, go towards the end. What you do is you find the topic that you need to learn more about. Nice. That one's good. That book, you throw it to me. Oh, this is a bad oh. idea. No, this will be good. This um, is good. You got it. <sighs> mm, that was it's good. the book. This one, the book. 
slaves, women, and homosexuals. Oh, I had I read this in. Um, it's an oldie but a goodie. Seminary. It's yeah. oldie but a goodie. And again, um, one of those ones that you can kind of pick through. Definitely more of a handbook. Um, yep. William J. Webb wrote that one. Also, Kevin Garcia as well on. I don't know if you know yeah. anything about Kevin. Kevin's yeah. awesome. And I think he's on Instagram. Yeah, they're on Instagram. Um, I think they're pretty big on Instagram. That's Kevin J. Yeah. Garcia. Okay. We'll we'll add all the folks. All of it in one. the notes. And the very last one is a good friend of mine, Colby Martin, wrote a book called Unclobber. And he goes through what's called the clobber passages, which are the ones that we just went through nice. today. I love that and name. And he was a pastor. How he wrote the book is so cool. He wrote the book um, as he, I believe, as he was getting fired from his church for, for uh uh, becoming an affirming pastor. So he tells you in tandem, he unclobbers the clobber passages while also telling you the story about him getting uh, pushed out of a culture that wow. was not uh, fully affirming. Love so that. those are really great sources. Uh, we'll cite everything. So don't leave us a one star review. They're all in the notes. Also, if you haven't reviewed, reviews help us a ton. Oh, oh they do. A Should big we tell one. The-, the thing about me, what? What are you saying? I don't. Yeah, but I have I have more news for you about that one, but go for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are currently ranked at ebbs and flows, but, but we're we currently have, like sixty-two. But, yeah. but whenever we put out a new episode, because it, it changes daily, but we have been and pretty steadily climbing the charts in the philosophy department. We were uh, number eight in philosophy in that is the U.S., incorrect. which is all that we talk about. That on is here. I know incorrect. You're wrong. What? What are we? I literally said. We, and you were like, yeah, that. I know. Because if you look into that rank, girl, after episode two, we ranked number two. Get out. I have the receipts. We ranked number two philosophy podcast philosophy. in the US. Y'all are seriously amazing. Holy shit. We are very close to 20,000 downloads for yeah. the podcast. Yeah, we'll celebrate. Getting so close. We're very close to 20,000. So I already got it. an idea of how we're going to celebrate. I'm yeah. so. We'll workshop it. No. It's a little we're sloppy. We're doing. <laughs> Did you pitch it to Emily yet? Strategically, we need to work it through. But I love the heart of it. The root of it, the radical root is very good. You get me nothing for my birthday. Yeah. Because you don't remember my birthday. Okay. And then you tell me you that talk- my ideas. We'll talk about it later. The thing I love the most in life, ideas outside of Jesus. But what I love most is good ideas. So that's why we'll work. Well, if you love our sloppy ideas of the podcast, rate and review us with non sloppy reviews. And tell a friend, tell a friend who you're just that needs this podcast. Yeah. Tell them. Share Share it it. like you would share the gospel. Truly. Mm, That's good. Then subscribe to our Patreon. And just like Moses split the Red Sea, we will split that income right down the middle so that we can do this more we're lying it's all going right back into the yeah. podcast 100 goes right back into this so <laughs> great uh, job today yeah amazing great job see you guys later we love you all Peace. bye we're back so we also forgot to say <laughs> that if you want part two we're actually doing a part two on sexuality on our patreon so if you love this conversation and you want to hear more about the general concept and topic of sexuality in the bible Part two will be on our Patreon next week. Next week, it'll be up. Wow. So you get a little bi-weekly uh, convo from us. How nice. Hey, okay. Bye-bye. That's all. Okay. Subscribe to Patreon. Love you. Bye.